Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We are back. Welcome to the Touchdowns All Day with John Barber podcast. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today in the middle of this pandemic. The Touchdowns All Day podcast is the podcast that got Alan to sing, or at least talk a bunch. Yes, that's right, folks. We got Alan to talk a bunch, and it's huge. Today's podcast is going to be split into two parts for the first time in our podcasting history because Alan just got so damn candid. You've never heard anything like this from him. I've never heard anything like this from him, and it's terrific. It's great. Honestly, we talk a lot on the podcast about what is this podcast about? Why are we doing this podcast? And what is the point of this podcast? And if you think, if you listen to the next two episodes, episode 29, episode 30, Alan, volume one, Alan, volume two, and you don't think that this justifies the existence of the entire podcast in all its glory then you and I got beef. Because this, I am so happy with these interviews and just the way Alan brought it. We have some great musical selections picked by Rich Steele of some amazing Alan drumming to go with it. It's a celebration of the best drummer in the world. Mr. Alan O'Quinn, thank you for listening to the Touchdowns All Day podcast. It is a pleasure. This is what makes the job fun. I'm very excited. We are so excited we even whipped out some merch. So for those of you who've always wanted to touchdowns all day, logo t-shirt or a pin or maybe even a bathrobe. Do you want a bathrobe? Uh, I want one because they're awesome. Go to the website. It says shop in the nav bar and go to the merch site and buy something. 100% of the proceeds of our merch sales go to pay the team that brings you the podcast. So it's a really good cause. Very happy about the merch. It looks cool. It's dark and chill. We also, a lot of the guys in the Biscuits, I think all the guys in the Biscuits have been putting up lessons on Live Lesson Masters, which is a website that Mark has started with, Alicia Carlin. And uh, they're just doing a great job. And it's a really great way for you to speak to the people on stage. You know, do you want to talk to Mark? Do we want to ask him questions? Do you want to talk to Aaron about how he does what he does? Do you want to sit with Alan and play drums and talk to him about how to get better? Or do you want to listen to me uh, go on and on about how the modes are all wrong and how you need to do things a different way? Whatever. Whatever your flavor is, you can book a private lesson on LiveLessonMasters.com and Alan's lessons are up there. So if you listen to this podcast and you are blown away by Alan, go ahead and get a lesson. Uh, it does help us through the pandemic and it keeps everybody focused on music, which is good, you know. In this podcast, we talk a lot about doing things that are on message for what you're trying to do, which what, what your great path is in life. If you're on your great path, sometimes you have to wander off of it every once in a while. But when you do wander off, you want to wander off and like gain a skill or get a power pellet or something like that. So I feel like giving lessons for me... It's like a little power pellet every morning. I do one lesson a morning, 
May is sold out, but we'll probably put some June lessons up soon. And during that lesson, I explain deep theory to whoever else is on the other side of the Zoom. And unfortunately for them, they have to listen to it. And at the end of that, you know what? I've talked a lot about music for an hour, and I feel like I'm in music head. I feel like I'm there. I'm ready to go. It's a little power pellet every morning. So, okay. So that's good news. Uh, DiscoBiscuits.net. A lot of you guys have never been there. Go to DiscoBiscuits.net. They just added the Touchdowns All Day podcast to their sidebar. Check it out. It's a brand new site. It is uh, Rails and React for those of you who are curious. And it's looking really cool. It's a really great resource for the Disco Biscuits. It's every Just go there and check it out for fun while you're watching TV. Uh, more Bisco news here. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. I've been away for, what, a month? And I have so much to talk about that I have to do it over the next four episodes. So I'm going to cut those four episodes in the next two days, and we're going to drop them all at the same time. Right. So, and I'll probably talk about some of the stuff on each one just to make sure it's covered. So, the Bisco news, which I'll be talking about a lot, is we have three concerts every night during the pandemic. Three concerts from the vault. We have a Wednesday night rewind, which is free. And then we have a Friday, Saturday, like light ticketed event. And it's Chris Lonergan's life's work, his all this footage that he's been very carefully corralling over the years. And a lot of times, you know, just out of pure passion and love for the band and for being a videographer. For those of you who don't know Chris Lonergan, you would know him if you've watched the YouTube video because he's the one who makes those possible. And he's been doing that for years. And he's very great at it. And those are all been free for years. And he's a big part of bringing those to you. So we love Chris. And he is um, just a huge part of of what makes being a Biscuit fan so great is his contributions to that. We can never thank him enough. There's so many people in our organization where you can just never thank them enough for what they do. And Chris is one of those people. So go to nugs.tv and you can watch these different Biscuit videos three nights a week. It's all old school stuff. It's like it's like the band when we were young. Doing uh, There's one, I was watching one where I'm just like tapping on stage like Eddie Van Halen. I never do that anymore. But back in the day, I used to like to show off, I guess. So this is great. This is really great. It's a pleasure to be back on the podcast. It's really great to be talking to y'all. Uh, we did a r slash jam band ask me anything on Reddit a few weeks ago. That was a huge success. And I'm sure you guys can go back and check that out if you want to. I answered a ton of questions in a half an hour. It was like rapid fire question answer. And it was really great. And then it was also great to see a bunch of other jam band guys hop on and do their AMAs right after. So I like the fact that everybody's kind of, you know, giving Reddit a little love. It's really nice to be able to get on there and talk to people in rapid fire. That's what we did. That's what we did. It's cool. A lot of great questions. Everybody was like, they were like, yo, so when you're on Reddit, if you see a question you don't like, just ignore it. And you don't have to answer it and just move on. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the update. Like, I've never been to social media, and I don't know how to ignore a bad question. Like, thank you. Can you can you write that down for me so I know when when I see that? And, um, and, and honestly, I think I answered every single question. And if I didn't answer your question, your, it doesn't mean your question was annoying. It just means that I didn't see it because, you know, how could you possibly ask an annoying question? <laughs> I would, it would never happen, right? That would never happen. I would never ask you one. Why would you ask me? So if I did answer one, 
I answered almost every single one. I swear to God. I was typing. I didn't know I could type that fast. I don't even know what I said to any of them. So if you want to see what, like, I wouldn't put those answers down as, like, this is what I really think. I would put those answers down as, like, that game you, you know, they play in the movies with the psychiatrist where they, like, they're like a Rorschach test where they show you the thing and you say, bird, and then they show you something else and you say, garbage can, and then they show you something else and you say, rosebush, you know? That's kind of what the AMA was like. It was like a giant question-based Rorschach test for me in a half hour. It was kind of fun. I could do it again. I could definitely do it again. And thanks to Crunk Mike for setting that up. And thanks to the guys at our jam band. They also said that. All right. So today's subject of the podcast, I think I just, people want me to talk about the baby. Um, I have a baby. He's two and a half months old. His name is Baby Shreds. I did not name him AKE 12421 ever. Uh, and and um, it's a shame that we didn't do that because then Elon would have copied us and that would have been hilarious. But we named him River, which is also a weird name, but we like it a lot and it fits him. And he loves water and he loves baths. And uh, it's just going really well. It's a, it's perfect for quarantine. Those of you who have a new baby in quarantine, you're probably like, yeah, there's a, there's a little upside to the quarantine. There's a lot of downside. I mean... I must have lost millions of dollars worth of concerts that just vanished. So it sucks. But they're, they're, you know, silver lining, trying trying to be positive, hanging out with the baby for hours and hours on end. And, and it's great. It's been really great. I, um, I don't mind the diapers. I don't mind the puking. I don't mind any of the mess. All the things that they tell you. Oh my God! You don't want you don't want a baby because of blah blah because of puke on you or the diaper, anything that all the thing the crying, the waking up, all the things they tell you are bad about babies. Eh, I don't know if I agree with them honestly. I don't know if I agree. I think, I think if I did this ten years ago, I I would have been fine. I mean, my whole thing was like I don't want to do that too soon. I don't want to have kids too soon. I don't want to start a family too soon. Because I'm a rock musician and what I really need to do is lock myself in a cabin and get really creative and and try and write the next great blah, blah, blah. And you know what I mean? Like all that pressure you put on yourself to make yourself, to self-actuate, you know, which I'm sure a lot of you out there are sitting around saying, how do I self-actuate myself in whatever field I'm in? I talk to a lot of guitar players and the lessons and they're all asking that same question. How do I go from where I am to part of something great and let me tell you 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 have a kid it's a great way to be part of something great i don't i don't want to give advice that doesn't match your world you know don't listen to me i'm I'm just a guitar player honestly but i'm surprised at how much i like it i think it's great so little baby river and i are best friends already i don't know we just have a lot of fun trying to bring the grandparents into it and a lot of uh trying to make the baby do push-ups and stuff like that so i don't know I think it's great. I think uh, having a kid is wonderful, and I'm surprised that I like it as much as I do, honestly. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. It sounds crazy to say that, but I always thought maybe quarantine is, makes it easy, but uh, it's pretty fucking cool. All right, so let's talk about... Let's move on, but that's the baby. He's wonderful, and thank you guys for supporting and caring. And, you know, okay, so let me talk about one other thing. Uh you know how like when you're single and like somebody like you go somewhere and somebody's kid is there and you're just like oh like I don't even want to touch what is that I don't want to touch that thing right 
So my whole life, I would go places and I would see small children. I'd be like, oh, like, I don't don't let it near me type of thing. Right. Because you don't want to break somebody's child because then you're in trouble. Like, you know what I mean? You don't want to drive somebody's car and you don't want to touch their child and like break it in some way. You know what I mean? So especially me, because I'm a giant person. So I have to be very careful around tiny things and people. But now that I have a kid, suddenly when I see another child, it's total flip. It's total opposite. So instead of being like, you know, I'm like, oh, and I'm in it. You know what I mean? And then I can talk to the kid. I know how to pick them up and do the whole thing. So there's that's kind of like an ancillary win for me because all my friends have kids and it's annoying to be like, oh, to all of their kids. You know, it's just really annoying to like walk into a room and see somebody's kid and be like, back away. You know, it's, now it's like now I see the kid. I'm like, oh, you know, I know how to talk to you. I know how to pick you up if you if you poop in your diaper. I, I can handle that situation. You know, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm looking forward to that, but hey, it wouldn't be the worst if 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 we end up in quarantine. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay. I could survive. Uh, so speaking of survive, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special thing that we're gonna do on the podcast, and. It's just like, you know, we're going to try this. I don't know what timeline it's going to be on, and I don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, But I think we have a good crew of people that could really get it done and make it fun. We want to make Touchdowns All Day Survivor Quarantine. How does that sound? It's basically a similar version of the Survivor TV show, except we're going to do it mostly over Zoom or whatever video conferencing software we use. And, you know, everybody participates... And does the challenges in their house. So we think of fun challenges you can do from your house. And then we have some kind of over Zoom tribal council. And then, you know, we reserve the right to change the game and make it weird and do whatever we need to do to make it fun. So keep an eye out for Survivor Quarantine, the TV show that we're going to make, basically. It's going to go on the Touchdowns All Day YouTube page. And if you want more information about it, because we do need you to play is go to touchdownsallday.com and click Survivor in the nav bar. You were there already earlier in the podcast for the merch. Now you're clicking Survivor in the nav bar for the game that we're all going to play together. And we'll see, you know, we need you guys to fill out a form and and send in a little video so we know enough about you. We're going to choose contestants and we're going to play some kind of version of Survivor probably starting in June or something. I'm not sure. We don't really have the schedule that far ahead. And um, the quarantine is making things a little bit difficult as far as like getting our ducks in a row with it because everybody's kind of scrambling. But I think we're going to make it happen. And I feel good about how much fun it's going to be. So a lot of positives. Join Survivor Quarantine. Play along. Bring all your friends on. Let's just do big groups of friends playing this really cool game. And then, you know, I'll run the tribal council and then we'll vote somebody out. Hopefully not you. Hopefully, hopefully somebody else. And then, you you know, it could be fun. I don't know. could be really fun. We're going to try it out. If you guys respond, then then I know we got something. And if you guys blow it off, then eh, we won't do it. You know what I mean? So it's up to you guys. Touchdownsallday.com. Click Survivor link and get more information. All right. So we do have a sponsor on the podcast to help us pay the bills in quarantine. I'm trying to make sure that people who work on the podcast get paid during quarantine because everybody lost their other job. You know what I mean? So this is our sponsor. It's harrys.com, the razors. Um, They sent me a bunch of razors. I tried them. 
I was expecting to think they were equal to. I usually buy whatever's the best razor you can get at CVS, right? And then I thought these ones were going to be equal to that or, you know, similar. But they're actually quite a bit better. They're just thicker. It's just a better blade. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just, I have like a thicker stubble and this this thing cuts through it in a much more durable and high quality way. I was impressed. I was impressed. So we decided to do the ads. The blades are two bucks a pop or something like that. And you basically do a trial with them where they send you free stuff. And then you just buy the blades from them. Like you would, it's delivered to your doorstep. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a subscription service for blades. If you shave, this is really how you should be doing it. Join the trial, get some razors from these guys. I'm telling you they're better. And then, you know, cancel the trial if you don't think they're better, but you're going to think they're better. They're just bigger, you know? It's just a better blade. So listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash touchdowns. You get a weighted ergonomic handle for the firm grip. You get a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and the trimmer blade that goes under your nose. You get a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and you get a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash touchdowns to start shaving better today. That's harrys.com slash touchdowns. And for me, the travel blade cover is great because I'm always traveling, and the um, it's got to have a trimmer blade or I don't even want the razor. So it has all the modern functionality of a blade, but it's just a better blade. And I think, Harry's, if you're listening, you should change your slogan to, it's just a better blade. You know what I mean? And if you do want that slogan, um, you know, support the podcast and help us do what we love, which is bring great music to our fans and also keep everyone informed and also get a wicked amazing interview out of the superstar Dr. Famous himself, Mr. Alan O'Quinn. Let's hit the theme song. Let's get into it. We're mass communicating. We're mass gentlemen we're back we're dropping four episodes this week the first episode and the second episode 
are both going to be the Alan O'Quinn interviews because he is just so candid, has so much to talk about. They couldn't possibly fit it all in one episode. It's just too long, frankly. And we had a bunch of music we wanted to add in, too, because we want you to hear some of Alan's great drumming to go along with the great interviewing. It's just an all-in-all win for everybody. It's a quarantine win, if you will. And he does a wonderful job. And I just got to say, Rich Steele picked out a crazy, amazing song for us today. This is... It's a little bit off of, of the song. We were talking about Shelby Rose in the interview with Alan, but we picked a different version because this version is just crazy. And we want you all to hear this because it's just some of the most stellar drumming on the planet. It's the most stellar drumming you'll ever find in the world on any podcast ever. Uh, I don't think you need to go into your podcast app and delete every other podcast except mine, but I would understand it if you did. You know, just tell a friend. Tell a friend about the Touchdowns All Day podcast, and then, you know, maybe that'll that'll help you. That'll help you satisfy how great the drumming is on this. Uh, this is from July 16th, 2016. This is a day set at Camp Bisco. So it's hot. It's Granton, Pennsylvania. Everybody's in bathing suits. It's the summertime. The day sets are known for their lunacy because the lights aren't there. And the band just gets kind of like the band gets hard, you know. The band gets the band gets rock and roll. So let's see how Alan gets rock and roll in some crazy jungle.
You can hear Alan's getting ready to take off. You can hear him feeling it. And he's just so crisp in the snare. And that snare just sounds great. And Pat really has it dialed in. And here it comes. We're taking off.
love it. Shreddiness personified, and the the just the the way the kick and the snare just play off each other. It's almost like two drummers. Yo, everybody, give it up to Alan back here. He did it. He fucking did it. <laughs> that shit's fast to play in this heat, man. You try it if you think it's such a no big deal. <laughs> One more time. Alan, make some noise. Mark taking a second to elucidate the realities of being a on-stage professional musician versus the mental musicians in the audience who are standing there saying, I could do that. But you know what? You got to get on the stage and you got to do it. And if it's 100 degrees outside and Shelby Rose is on the set list, you're going to end up playing 290 BPM probably and... Oh, that's how you do it. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Part one of Mr. Alan O'Quinn. Thank you. All right, folks, welcome to the Touchdowns All Day with John Barber podcast. We have a very special guest today, our most requested guest, Mr. Alan O'Quinn. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! <laughs> Hello. How you doing? So... There's a little bit of debate about how your last name is pronounced. Do you want to set the record straight right now? Yes, I actually pronounced it wrong, though, so there's that. <laughs> My family says O'Quinn, which is pretty normal, but I think if we were actually Cajun or French, we would say, like, O'Quinn. Oh, right. Totally. That's like a French accent. Mm-hmm. Right there, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. Are you French? Uh, Cajun. My dad's Cajun. My mom's Cajun-ish. <laughs> Wow, a redheaded Cajun. I have an uncle with red hair and blue eyes just like me on my dad's side. And your brother has red hair too, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Cajuns with red hair. It's uh it's wild. <laughs> you know, you're the drummer of the band, you are living a very rhythmic perception of the world. Do you play Cajun music mm, when you get a chance? I don't. No, no Zydeco. My parents listened to just a little bit of it, but uh it wasn't really like a part of our like our home. Were you young when that happened? How old were you when you listened to that um, stuff? Probably like, mm, I want to say like six, seven, or eight. I can remember my dad would listen to it. He put it on when they, when we would have like crawfish boils and stuff like that. But it wasn't really like what we saw on TV. It was like we had some friends over. It was also in Germany, keep in mind. <laughs> my dad was in the military, so for three years we lived in Germany. And that's pretty much when I remember the Zydeco music. So... I don't know if he was just trying to keep the American vibes alive while we were over there or, or what, but uh, that's when I, I kind of remember it. So Even when we would uh, have family reunions, it's, we, we wouldn't have like Zydeco blasting in the background or anything. How does the crawfish boil go over in Germany? Uh, well, we lived on like a, um, it's like an armed forces base, so it was like with fellow Americans, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was just like a party thing, you know, an yeah. excuse to get together and hang out. Were there other kids living on the base? Yep. We lived in, like, um, they were called the barracks, but it was just basically an apartment building, and there was a bunch of kids. I think they kind of grouped you, like, liked similar situations, you know. Right. And so, did you have other kids your age to hang out with? Yep. Yep. Whole building, pretty much. Everyone seemed like, of course, you know, I was, like, six or seven, so who knows what the actual was, but it seemed like everyone had kids. There's, There's a lot of kids to play with, so. 
That sounds really fun. It's kind of like being at camp, but all the time. Are you still in touch with any of the people that you live with? No. You know, I moved like every two to three years, so friends kept changing, and it was, you know, you don't realize, you know, you should really keep up until you're older, I guess. But uh, I haven't really gone looking for, uh, it's kind of hard to remember their last names, but um, I haven't really gone searching for them, you know, online or anything. But, uh, yeah, we moved around a lot, so. Can you take me through the places that you lived in the order that you lived at them? Yeah, I think I can. So uh, I was born in Fort, Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, because my dad uh, was a Special Forces Green Beret, like 82nd Airborne Division badass, apparently, before I was born. Not apparently, like I've seen pictures. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's got like pictures of him jumping out of planes and stuff. We used to go watch him jump out of planes. Uh, but I was born in Fort Bragg. And then I think we moved to... I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong and my parents are, are going to let me know. I think we moved to Fort Polk, Louisiana. I believe we went back to North Carolina. And then we went to Germany. And then we came to South Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And then to Fort Benning, Georgia. And then by the time I got in high school, it, was, it worked out really well for me. By the time I started high school, my dad retired, so we stopped moving. So I had high school buddies, you know. Didn't have to switch high schools. Yeah, that's the tough one. Mm-hmm. You, meet, you meet all these, you have to spend so much time with all these kids, and then your parents are like, oh, you got to go to this other school where everyone's going to immediately hate right. you the minute you walk Yeah, in. being the guy with the red hair, you know, you're kind of an easy target sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> so Fort Bragg, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and you were there multiple times. Is that just kind of like a, a hub for... I think it's like For a army people. I think it's hub because he he was in the military for 13 years before I was born. So maybe I have that wrong. Maybe it was seven years. Well, when I was born, he got out of the special forces. So I think it the, the Fort Bragg is a special forces hub. And I apologize to anyone I'm offending by getting all this information wrong. I should definitely know it. But uh, uh, Fort Bragg is a special forces hub, and then Fort Benning is actually like an airborne training school and ranger school hub. So he spent a lot of time in Fort Benning before I was born because, uh, you know, he was jumping out of airplanes and doing stuff that he can't talk about. Is that nerve-wracking when your dad's gone for the day and you know that he's on some mission practice where he's got to jump out of an airplane and do dangerous stuff? For me, he stopped jumping out of airplanes when I... Probably, because he wasn't jumping out of airplanes when we went to Germany. So I think I was about four or five when he stopped jumping out of airplanes. For me, it was cool. I mean, my dad was jumping out of airplanes and he was so you know soaring through the sky and like you know coming down on a you know a parachute. It was awesome. I thought you know it was great. But my mom, I'm sure, it drove her crazy. You know, anything could happen. Yeah. You could you could land fine and still break your ankle. You know, and then or your parachute can't open. He's he's got some some pretty crazy stories. About parachutes not opening, so uh, you know, I'm sure it was real nerve-wracking for my mom, but for for me and my 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 brother, it was it was the coolest thing ever. So yeah, because jumping out of planes is one of those things that's super super dangerous. You know, I'm sure jumping out of a plane behind enemy lines where they could shoot at you is perhaps the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. Yeah, but even doing it in North Carolina is uh, yeah. Everything's got to go right. So there was times where he jumped out of the plane and the parachute didn't open. What happens then? There was, I don't think it was ever his parachute. There was a time, I believe it was uh, like a fellow soldier he was jumping with. His didn't uh, open. 
I think he and another guy had to like go get him in the air somehow, and then they got his shoot over. I don't know. Pretty crazy story. Somebody else flew over to him. Yeah, kind of like you see in the movies that actually happened, and they like helped help him stabilize. I don't, I don't know how they got him. If he had like a reserve shoot that that he needed help with, or or if they were. You know, holding the guy together, and he was—they were all under one shoot. I'm not sure, but yeah, there's there's something. He told a story once of how he and a, another dude had to like fly in the air and help this guy out. Something like that. Pretty crazy. He's got a, he's got a lot of stories. You know, like fly over to him and catch him, Iron Man yeah, style, totally. right? Like two <laughs> right. Let's go into the sky. That is crazy. So. Did you think when you were younger, I'm going to go do yep. that? I'm going to be a Green Beret? I thought so. I wanted me to do special forces, you know, like it's cool. And uh, they do such elite things yeah. and they're like dudes that are like in shape and kick ass. So, yeah, it was cool. But my dad didn't necessarily want me to do that. It was like my idea. He didn't really like put that idea in my head. Uh, it, my, my brother, too, he didn't. He wanted to do it. And then my dad really wasn't really. I, I don't know if he wasn't supportive. He was just. He didn't really push it, uh, but I actually have asthma, and also I had like a weird hole in my eardrum when I was a kid uh, in, in my left ear, and they had to do like this reconstructive surgery. So there's like a minor hearing loss. And whenever I was 18, I still wanted to be in the special forces, and my dad was, you know, you have asthma and you have this hearing thing, so you, you're not gonna, they're probably not gonna take you. So no offense. <laughs> so kind of crushed me for like a few hours but uh but i found other things <laughs> you found other things indeed i think this story may will make a lot of sense i mean the fans sent in a bunch of questions they are all kind of scratching at the surface of are you a superhero <laughs> that's a lot of what we got and it ends up that you kind of are in a weird way <laughs> or you were training to be a superhero your whole life and you just ended up in drums I had a uh, keyboard player I used to play with that knew the story about my dad, and uh, he was a little older. He called me Special Forces of Drums. He was a, a character. So, nice. Uh, yeah, I like that. Special Force on the Drums. Is it Special Force on the Drums? Uh, he would say Special Forces of Drums. Special Forces of Drums. Love that. That's amazing. So did you play music with him? Yep. His name was Dr. Dan. I don't know if anybody remembers that him, but uh, he was... I remember Dr. Yeah. Dan. Played with him for like two years or so. When was that? That was uh, it was a couple years before the Disco Biscuits. Because we weren't playing whenever you guys hit me up. I remember we crossed paths with my band, old band, with Johnny and Pat, Skydog, Gypsy. We did a couple shows with Dr. Dan. I don't remember how we started jamming, but we started jamming. And then I, I didn't do too many shows. It was maybe like 10 over two years. So. And what instrument were you playing? I was on drums and uh, samples, you know, and then Dr. Dan was doing his thing on his roads and Wurlitzer. And how did you get linked up with him? What were you doing before that? Were you in another band? Were you just in the scene? What? I was in a band called Skydog Gypsy. We played for not too long. It was uh, maybe 1990. Well, they were a band before I got in it, but I got in it around 1998. And then we played... Officially till uh, what maybe 2003 I think, but that band kind of toured a lot in the southeast. And Johnny and Pat from Disco Biscuits, Lights and Sound, were actually Lights and Sound in that band too. So uh, that's right. 
Yeah, and that's how, you know, we did a couple festivals. Uh, I think Dr. Dan was from Atlanta, and I think he did a few festivals we'd done, and I, he, he had a badass drummer, so I would always, you know, go and hang out and introduce myself. And where was that? That was in Alabama. Yep, Alabama, Georgia. Uh, you know, back that in that time, I was in, like, Columbus, Georgia, and Auburn, Alabama, but kind of in the sticks, Tuskegee, Alabama. <laughs> I like to live like at least 20 miles from this, you know, far enough from the city, but close enough you can go if you want to, but out far enough to where like mm-hmm. you got room, make noise, and not gonna make anybody mad, throw the ball to your dog, stuff like that. Small community of people. Did you go to high school in that area? I went to high school in Columbus, Georgia. For all four years? Yep, yep. My dad, we were at Fort Benning, and then he retired, which is in Georgia, and then we stayed in Columbus. Uh, you know, my dad wound up working sports medicine clinic there, so we stayed there, yep, all four years. Is that what superheroes do when they retire from saving people? They work at a sports medicine clinic? <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> it make, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of, kind of. <laughs> That's a great way to retire, just sit around with people and talk about stability muscles and what you need in a pinch <laughs> sounds right and were you drumming at that time i yeah i was drumming i had started playing drum kit when i was a sophomore in high school and what started that did you somebody give you a kit did you know you wanted one and you went and bought one well actually i started playing clarinet when i was uh, 11 and then the in my fifth or sixth and seventh grade bands, they didn't have, it was just flute, clarinet, and trumpet. There was no other instruments you were allowed to play. So I picked clarinet, and then we moved. That was in South Carolina, and then we moved, and then this new band had, my idea was to go start on clarinet and switch to saxophone. And in this, in this new band, they had all the, you know, all the instruments, and they had a drum section. And I was like, whoa, you know, what, what's going on back there? And I eventually talked my parents into letting me stop squeaking on the saxophone and give drums a try. I was a little late in the school year, so I didn't get to play all the cool instruments like snare and bass drum and timpani, but uh, <laughs> I had to play like bells and, and, and marimba and chimes and stuff. I got to play timpani every now and then, but that was actually good because it you know, made me learn how to, I guess if I didn't start on that stuff, I may not have ever done it, so it was good to at least start there. But yeah, seventh grade, I guess, was when I started, when I was 12. And then in eighth grade, I finally got to play snare. And I did that for a few years. It took a while, you know, to build, get get some drums and get a snare drum and stuff. So um, my sophomore year, my parents bought me a drum kit. And I started taking lessons right before that. And they and the private teacher talked about drum sets. Wow. Then one day I came home and it was just sitting there, so. What's, and who bought it for you? your parents? Just got yep. it and just they got it. left it there. They got it and yeah, basically, <laughs> they just left it there. You're gonna need this type of <laughs> uh-huh. thing. I set it up and that was that. <laughs> well, I wonder if it, I wonder if they think that they held you off for a couple of years because you don't want a 12 year old kid with a full drum set in the house and that'll drive everybody insane. The, the band directors were insistent that I had to learn, you know, snare and. Private teachers were insistent that I had to learn my rudiments and stuff like that. So, yeah, it took a while. And the drum sets were kind of expensive, you know, so it took it took a second. <laughs> I'm sure your mom called the band director and was like, put him on triangle, please put him on triangle. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Actually, you know, it kind of goes with the military story. My parents were always very supportive of the, the practicing that I, I would do. Once I figured out that, you know, 
I could play drums for the rest of my life. I don't know why at first I didn't. Yeah. It was, I don't know. I was just like, this is cool, this is fun. But one day something clicked and I was like, whoa, I could do this for the rest of my life. You know, I started practicing. I was, I was getting ready to go to college. And there was not a time I wasn't practicing. And they were always very supportive. But the only time they, my parents said, okay, it's, it's just too much, we can't take it, is I was playing double bass to a recording of kick drums going. So it's layered on top of it and I'm blasting my parents entire house with this, this for, for like at least an hour and my dad came in and was like look you gotta put your headphones in and you gotta do something <laughs> so that's the only time that they've ever been like okay I can't take it <laughs> other than that they've been very supportive wow that's incredible I mean I played saxophone and I heard I heard about it all the time <laughs> I was a terrible sax player I sounded like a dead duck they were still supportive <laughs> Yeah, sax is one of those things where you sound like a dead duck and then you don't, you know? There's <laughs> no middle ground in sax. There's no half duck, half Coltrane in that area. You still have your saxophone? Um, I thought I bought one the other day. I have one around here somewhere. I don't know where. I think I just, like, lost it in the shuffle, you know? Yeah. It's a saxophone. I never play it. I think we had it. I don't know. It's in New York in, in, a, in like, a apartment that I moved into it's like in one of the closets or something and the next tenant was like probably never even found it <laughs> <laughs> it's been in the same apartment somebody will find it and probably hopefully it'll find its way to like a 10 11 year old kid who wants to play saxophone mm-hmm. would be it that would be fantastic yeah so you mentioned rudiments rudiments there are some drummers in the audience and they would like a little technical advice about the regularly practiced rudiments or one or one Okay. Well, first, a uh, long roll, which is right, right, left, left. That's a pretty important one. Probably my favorite. And then after that, you have like your five stroke and your nine strokes and seven stroke. But uh, they are all similar to the long roll. Uh, and then you have your paradiddle, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. And then mm. some flams. The flam, maybe flam accent, flam tap. And then you got your drags, your, your drag tap, which would be like right, right, left, 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 right. Uh, and buzz roll. A lot of people forget about the buzz roll. They don't consider it like a rudiment, but I, I always approached it. You're going to practice all the others. you got to practice the buzz roll. That's a good one, too. What's the buzz roll? The buzz roll would be, well, you know, like a long roll kind of sounds like, a, you know, like a, like a gun, kind of like a machine gun. And then a buzz roll, yeah. buzz roll would just be like, you know. Interesting. Is it more hits per hand? Uh, yeah, it's also called a press roll. You're kind of like pressing the stick into the head. You're kind of crushing the notes so they're they're not. Oh yeah, totally. It's a long roll, but you press it in. Yeah, basically, you're not really using your fingers the same way uh, you would on a long roll with the buzz roll. It's more just like you're pressing with the the fulcrum of the stick and pushing it into the snare or whatever drum. So. And do you think how long per day should a drummer do that that set that you just named? I think they should do that. Depends if you're just starting out or if you've been doing it for a while and you're just trying to get faster. But back in the day, you know, I would spend like an hour on the rudiments at least. If I wasn't performing them, you know, like I was, if you would, if you were like going in front of like an all-state judge or something like that, where you would play them like slow to fast to slow, then I was doing some sort of, some sort of like exercise to build the chops to play that rudiment faster. But if you've already got the, the skills, then, you know, Maybe just 
run through them, 15 minutes, something like that. Kind of like scales, you know? For sure. You need the scales have to be pure fluid or, mm-hmm. or your technique gets in the way. So when you started drumming, what kind of music, when you got the kit and you hooked it up and you're ready to play, what kind of music were you into at that point? I was into uh, Soundgarden, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Primus. Yeah, those were the ones back in the day. Those were my, my big. I love those bands. All great drummers. You could take those four drummers and you could say that's my top four and it would totally make sense. I love Matt Cameron was probably my favorite from Soundgarden and then Chad Smith, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I could play his stuff easier than I could play, you know, like Jimmy Chamberlain's from Smashing Pumpkins. And then uh, Herb, I just loved Herb from uh, Primus. So the first, like, quote-unquote band I was in was just me and a bass player. The bass player was obsessed with Primus, so I got to go after that real real quick, you know? So you did all the Primus stuff? We did the Primus stuff, and then he wrote stuff that was kind of Primus-y sounding, you know? So would that be your top three drummers? Would be those three guys maybe... Chamberlain close fourth or something? They would be in there. Dennis Chambers is my top drummer. Really? Yep. And then Vinny Calyuta. Of course. Those are, you know, like my virtuosos. They're, they're like my go-tos. And then Steve Gadd. He's old school, of course. But as far as like not virtuoso in Chopland, but, you know, just favorite bands, drummers, those guys. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. What drummer do you think in their uniqueness made the band? Like, really elevated the band. You know, like, you have Neil Peart, who really elevated Rush. You have John Bonham, really elevated Led Zeppelin. You have Keith Moon. Or You have all these drummers where, in their uniqueness, added a showbiz factor to those bands that was undeniable. Mm-hmm. What's your number one? Carter Beaufort makes uh, Dave Matthews' band, in, in my opinion. I love that. But that's also coming from a drummer, you know. <laughs> so He really does, though. He really does make that bad. I never thought about that before, but he is wonderful. He's not Neil Peart, but he's kind of like Neil Peart in the sense that everybody in the audience is air drumming to, to his drumming, you know. And if you go to a Rush concert, everybody's air drumming to what Neil Peart was doing. So, totally. yeah. I mean, Jimmy Chamberlain's drums and Smashing Pumpkins, they're for that band. I think it's... More about Billy Corgan, obviously, but uh, I don't think they'd sound right with the... I mean, they took another drummer on for a little bit, but they brought Jimmy back for a reason, you know. Yeah, Jimmy has that, like, patience mm. in what he Patient does. Patient chops, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like it's all there, but he's just is making you wait for mm-hmm. it. And then, and then it's ferocious. I like him a lot. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins' Gish was my favorite album of that era, and that all happened. Yeah. Just, that one was beautiful to mm-hmm. me. Wow, so... We have all these influencers. We have all these great drummers. Is there a style of drumming, you know, like you have your messy Keith Moon style and you have your super tight, you know, jazz guys and everything. Mm-hmm. Is there a style of drumming you'd like to do in the Disco Biscuits that you don't really have a outlet for? Uh, well, we kind of cover a lot of ground in the Disco Biscuits. I think we cover everything, you know. Um, I mean, I like funk drumming and I like kind of like fusion-y lose the one for a little bit and play off of each other kind of jazz fusion stuff and we do that in the disco biscuits so but if i had to pick a favorite that i like to play all the time obviously drum and bass but uh funk also the like you know dennis chamber style funk (laughs) 
We get there in the Disco Biscuits. We do get there. We go a lot of places. We have a lot of uh, free improv where you can kind of get out whatever you want to get out. When you're playing during this free improv that the Biscuits do, what is your like consciousness telling you to be aware of while you're playing? Don't rush. Don't drag. <laughs> Play the perfect tempo. <laughs> is this the four? Nope, that wasn't the four. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but those do kind of run through the head. But, you know, uh, mostly I'm just listening and I'm trying to, like, make sure that we're all kind of going in the same direction that we want to be. And I'm trying, like, if you're you're playing a solo, then I want to do whatever I can do to, like, make you as comfortable and... and and maybe play off of some of the things you're doing, but don't get in your way, you know, um, something like whatever I can do yeah. to like make it, make it sound better. That's what I want to do. I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, whether it's stay out of the way or play a little more, whatever I can do to make it, make it everyone it sound good is what I'm kind of thinking while we're going. And then obviously trying to, Keep in mind that we're, we're we're moving on to another song, so don't forget. <laughs> right, because we are, there always is a little bit of purpose in what we're doing. Yeah, and if we go a little far out and get out on an island, which is awesome and everything, then sometimes if we don't make our way back to shore, you know, it's a little awkward being stuck out on that island for a second there. So yeah, it can be awkward. Some people say that's the best part of the show. <laughs> I know, I know. I've heard that. <laughs> I felt there's, there's been times where you know, like I'm like, oh, that was terrible, and then we go backstage and we are all looking at each other, and then you know the, the fans come back and they're like, that was the best ever. So it's like obviously <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> you know that happens so often that you know it's just a fact at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing the drums, you're in the improv, and we're in no hurry to get anywhere, mm-hmm. and you're just playing, you're listening to the band members, you're playing, and you're doing the stuff you just talked about. Are you singing the rhythms that you're playing? Are you thinking consciously? How are you, like, feeling what you're playing? It's a little of both. Uh, sometimes I'm singing the grooves that I'm playing. Sometimes I'm singing, I hear your guitar part, and I'm kind of singing along with your guitar part, or maybe you know, some Brownstein's uh, bass or something like that, just so I can play right in his, with my kick drum and snare, I can play right in the pocket there. Or mm-hmm. if Aaron's doing something that he's accenting, I'm trying to sing along with that. Or if we're changing tempos, I'll sing the, the song, like the head of the song, to make sure we're at the right tempo. But oh, totally. it, sometimes in jams, it's like I'm not even, I'm just kind of like not, nothing. I'm not doing, I'm not thinking anything. It's just kind of happening, which is what we all, I think that's what we all are trying to get to. It's like you're standing at the like the top of the 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 stage in the corner, just kind of looking down, and, and you're just like, wow, this this is badass right now. Wait, what do you mean, standing on top of the stage, looking down at yourself playing the drums? Yeah, yeah, looking down at the band, and just uh, when we can get like to that moment, which for it happens a lot, thank goodness. <laughs> but when we get to that moment in the middle of a jam and it's just working and it's like nothing you can do is wrong you're completely out of the way you're not really thinking about what i need to be playing you're just kind of playing what the music is giving you you know what i mean that's when i feel like i'm standing at the top of the stage and just kind of watching and just taking it all in wow is that a meditation how do you free your mind up 
to separate from your physical existence and then look down as if you're another person. <laughs> How do you get to that state? Um, Is it? A, do you meditate? Regularly? I do meditate, but it's actually I've been doing that before I started meditating. That was just something that would when I'm playing drums and it's just feeling good and the notes are happening, the pockets like thicker than you know ever. I've always been able to kind of like just let go and watch. But yeah, I do meditate regularly. I started a few years ago and then once Presley was born, uh, I took it pretty serious. There, like something happened and I had to go inside and figure out some stuff. You know, I have a temper sometimes, so I wanted to like get control of that temper and not, which I'm still working. I didn't want to be the same asshole I had been, so <laughs> I needed to go inside and check on some things. So you had a beautiful baby girl named Presley, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you feel like you looked at your life and said, I want to make changes and I'm going to use meditation yep. to help me bring them about. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So what is the, what's the meditation? Is it every day? Is it once a week? What's your uh, schedule? It's changed over the, the years, but uh, right now it's every day and it's kind of long. Uh, it's not, not really, but it's like 30 to 60 minutes, but in the beginnings, it was like whatever I could do, 10 minutes. In the beginning, it was like twice a day. I do it in like the morning and in the evening. And then I was going through like some guided meditations. And then actually, uh, Mikkel, do you know Mikkel? Yes. Uh, she's, uh, she got me started on some guided meditations. And uh, I just kind of took it from there. She gave me five good ones. And then I kind of went and found my own. And then it was no guided meditations, just you and a dark room and then I found a book by Light Watkins called Blissmore that made the most sense for me he just takes all the like kind of like uh, eccentrical ethereal stuff to meditation out and just takes all the rules about you know you got to sit in lotus position and your back has to be straight and your head has to be tilted a certain way he just takes it he's like hey just sit down at the couch be as comfortable as you are when you're watching TV and just chill out and if you go to sleep that means you're tired and you should be sleeping, you know. <laughs> and if you're if you're thinking and thinking and thinking, well, that just means you got a lot on your mind and you need to be thinking, thinking, thinking. He's, he disagreed with the shut your mind up and don't listen to the chatter. He just said, just let your mind chatter and then one day it'll stop chattering. And maybe for a second and that'll be, it'll seem like eternity, but you'll realize it was only a second and then it'll get longer and longer. So I did that for a bit, and then uh, actually I found a guru here in Parker, Colorado, and uh, his name's Jim Strunk. I don't know if he wants me to say his name, but he's an amazing person. I wanted to say his name, but uh, he's my guru, and I've been studying with him for probably, well, maybe. Is his last name Strunk? Yep. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's an unusual one. A lot of content. (laughs) It is. I've been with him for about a year and a half. And we do uh, Kriya meditation, which is kind of like Yogananda's um, approach to meditation. But he had a teacher with the same lineage as Yogananda, but he also took it from some other teachers. So it's got a little twist on it. So. Well, I like the philosophy of don't get caught up in too much stuff and just sit there and let your mind go for a few minutes and then it'll quiet itself. Yeah, yeah. Jim actually he's the same thing uh, but Light, Light Watkins was saying you know 
can't stop your mind from thinking. If your mind stops thinking, you're dead, you know? So <laughs> you want to you, you be thinking. Right. And I like that he's... People, because, you know, when you're meditating and you finally calm yourself, we, we work a lot. So a lot of us are going to start taking naps and we get frustrated. And Light was like, well, if you're falling asleep, that means you're, you're tired. You need to get some sleep. So just take a nap and don't, don't get frustrated. Meditate some other time. Yeah, there it is. Meditation. Do you mantra? Um, I don't really do mantras. I have a couple of things that I say as I meditate, but there's not really... I don't have a mantra that I'm saying over and over and over and over and over again. I have something that I kind of say, like I do a few ohms and then meditate for a little bit, do a few more ohms, and then I have something I say, uh, you know, I say I'm, I and the Creator are one, and I say that kind of a little bit, but I don't really like repeat it and repeat it, repeat it. I just kind of say it and kind of drift off with it and then try not to say anything, think or say, really do anything, just sit there and take it in. I wanted to do that. I was doing the transcendental kind of mantra, one word, two word mantra thing. Uh-huh. And then I heard that people were doing, saying these blissful, holistic peace phrases instead uh-huh. in English. Uh-huh. I was thinking maybe I'd go try that out for a little bit. The mantras, they get boring after a while. You know? Right, right. I mean, I guess the idea is you say it and you keep saying it and you just kind of forget you're saying it and then you're kind of entrancing yourself. But there's also something with, like you were saying, just uh, something blissful and just let it be what it is and it's kind of like you say it a few times and then you kind of forget you're saying it and then you're silent and then you're like oh whoa i'm meditating okay and then once that happens then you say it again you say it again and then it falls off and then you wake yourself up again it's like you ever say it on stage while you're playing drums yep yep i meditate a lot on stage while we're playing (laughs) i try to yeah i do kriyas while we're playing and and try to you know keep myself like uh i don't i'm not always successful but i try to keep myself as open as possible and like calm and i try to like i feel like it gives me uh like power and energy to play with you know so i try to tap into that yeah I feel like if I focuses you, yeah, it gets me focused and it gets me faster to that point to where I'm not really thinking and playing the drums from my like head. I'm I'm just letting go of it and it's happening. I feel like that's meditation helps me and uh, I do it right before we go on stage and then while we're on stage, real quick. Hmm. Just like you're you're checking in, you know. Yes, it's amazing how the just by checking in, it turns into a thing. You just check in all the time. Uh-huh five minutes turn into 30s when you have the time yeah do you use an alarm when you meditate or do you just come out of it naturally i do use an alarm uh i wish that uh i could just meditate and come out of it whenever i want but i got a little girl and we have some time now but uh you know time's not always as available as i wish so yeah i set an alarm so i don't sit there and meditate for two hours or three hours or something (laughs) wow that's a legit meditation. I don't think I could meditate for <laughs> after an hour. You know, I'm so trained by hour-long TV shows. Like a second, that's like what my brain thinks an hour is. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the biscuits for a second on stage. Okay. There's a lot of crazy songs. Which one do you think is the hardest one to play? So there you have it, folks. That is part one of the Alan O'Quinn Super Interview. If you'd like to listen to part two, it is the episode 30 of the Touchdowns All Day podcast. It's the very next episode. We're going to listen to a little bit more of Alan's drumming with the band, and we are going to talk a little bit more about COVID-19 and what I think 
is the reason that COVID-19 is going so gangbusters. And also, we are going to, of course, have part two of Alan's great interview where he talks a lot more about drumming and technique and some serious stuff that's relative to the Biscos. And we also discuss the current pandemic. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. We'd like to thank the Osiris Podcast Network for helping us do what we do. I'd like to thank Rich Steele and Crunk Mike and Vic Sobti for being the core team. We also have a great group of people that help us all the time. Thank you to everyone. This is me signing out, episode 29 in the books. Have a great day, folks. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating. We're mass communicating.